We're continuing a sermon series on Come Home for Christmas, part two. The word home is a very powerful word. I was reminded of that power of that word when I talked with people who this year will not wake up on Christmas morning in the bed with their spouses. When you start talking about home at Christmas, it brings tears because of those incredible memories. Home is a very powerful word. For some of you who may wonder if I have a home, yes, I do. In this sermon series, we're talking about home. And in your notes, home, first of all, home, first of all, is a temporary place. I remind you that home is a temporary place because we do all sorts of things. To make our homes more comfortable. Make them look nice and permanent. But they are temporary. Secondly, as we talk about come home for Christmas, we are referring to something that is eternal. In your notes, home is an eternal relationship. Home is having an eternal relationship with our eternal God. It's a picture of closeness between you and God. That is what home, coming home means. Being close and connected to God. For some of this is a Christmas is a reconnect time. After you've been away for a while. Or maybe you are here for the first time. Life works best always when you're connected. When you're close to God. I think almost all people want to come closer and closer to God. So I want to share a story today. It's probably one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. It's the story that Jesus told. And it's about the greatest homecoming ever. We call it the story of the prodigal son. Or in your notes, that means the lost son. In this story, Jesus is talking to two types of people. The first type who was listening to this story, they were the tax collectors and those notorious sinners much like the people we have sitting in the back rows of church. The second type of people were people who were referred to as religious types of people, much as we have in the balcony, just getting your attention this morning. The story is about a father and his two sons. The younger son says, Dad, I want half of my inheritance now, which is probably another way of just saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. How many of you have teenagers, or at least had them? You can relate. The dad does something, however, really radical. He gives it to him. Jesus is here trying to paint a picture, though, what God is like. So the father in this story represents God. And the boys in the story represent you and me. The father gives him the money. The son goes away to a distant land. In that distant land, he wastes all his money on foolish living. Depends on what Bible translation you use. One says foolish living. Another says riotous living. Another unwise living or parties and prostitutes. However you translate it, it is bad. He wastes the money. At the time the money is running out, there's a famine. Isn't that just like life? 
When it rains, it pours. Some, some of you are listening. <laughs> some of it is because of your own doing, because he wasted his money. Some of it is we have no control over it, the famine. Now he's in a bad condition. He finds a job feeding pigs. As Jesus tells this story, he understands the Jewish audience, and a pig is considered to be unclean by the Jews. And this boy, that he would get a job caring for pigs, means this guy had hit rock bottom. He was lower than low. He was the poster child of shame. When he came to his senses, he thought, at home, even the hired men have enough food to spare. Here I'm dying in hunger. He said, I'll go home. I'll go home to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as a hired man. So he returns to his father. How many of you have blown at one time or another something in a big way? Raise your hand. Have you ever blown any? If you have, you know what this boy was really doing as he was walking toward home. He was rehearsing. He's planning what to say and how to say it. So there are three things that we learn about God from this story. And you notice number one, God is patient enough not to give up. God is patient enough not to give up. Look at Luke 15, verse 20. While he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. This kind of blows my mind. Filled with love and compassion, this father runs to his son. The son doesn't even have time to get all of his speech out. He shouts to the servants to prepare to celebrate. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Kill the best calf that we have. We're going to party. My son is home. Wouldn't it be great if the story ended there? The party is going on. But there's another son in this story. The other son is out working in the father's fields. He sees this party. A servant tells him this great news. His brother is found. And you know what the response of the brother was. He was angry. He was jealous. Can you relate to that? Somebody gets something that you do not get. Somebody gets a blessing that you do not get. Jealousy. Anger. Now, first you have this father running out to meet the lost son. And now this same father also goes out to the disconnected son. In both cases, the father goes to meet them. And the father says, son, son, we are very close. Everything I have is yours. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Everything I have is yours. My power is available to you. My presence is available to you. So but you had to celebrate this happy day. Because your brother was dead and is alive, was lost, and now is found. See, Jesus is actually painting a picture of what God is like in this story. Because God is patient enough not to give up. It breaks my heart to hear people who feel totally disconnected from God. See, God is a God who does not give up on his son. He's watching the road. The father saw him. 
God is patiently very hopeful. When we have difficulty relating to this Father, it's only because we ourselves have trouble being patient with people. We give people one warning and then we give up. Parents do that with their kids. How many times do I have to tell you? How many times? I grew up with that question. I still do not know what the right answer is. As a kid, I would ask six times maybe, 10 times, 20 times. I don't know. Some of you who are parents, you're, who are not parents, you're saying, I would never have say any of those things that my, to my kids that my parents said to me. Yes, you will. In your notes. We also have trouble being patient. Think of how patient God is with us. How he does not give up on us. God does not come at us. How many times do I have to tell you this attitude? Look at 2 Peter 3 verse 9. God is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But wanting everyone to come to repentance. So you want to circle that word Everyone. What does repentance mean? Repentance means that you come home. Turn around. Come home. God is patient. God wants everyone to come home. Have any of you had teenagers when the teenager has been gone away, comes back? You don't say, hey, where have you been? You don't go after them with, you missed this and you missed that attitude. The character of God would simply be welcome back. Welcome home. Some of us need to see God in that light. Some are distant from God. Some have been disconnected from God. But God says to each and every one, welcome back. God's not going to give up on you. Welcome back. Number two in your notes. The second thing we learn about God from this story, that Jesus told, God is passionate enough to show extreme love. The story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. One of my favorite verses is verse 20. Look at Luke 15, verse 20. He, the father, ran to his son. Circle that word ran. It's the only time the Bible, I think, pictures God is running. What makes this more interesting? In this culture, in this day, men wore robes. In your notes, running in a long robe was difficult. Today in our culture, running in a long dress is difficult, from what I've been told. To do this in that day was actually to show extreme love. This dad did not care as he held up his robe and he ran. Much like you dads who wear colored socks with loafers, short pants. You don't care what other people think about you. Or maybe you just have no one in your life who loves you enough to talk tell you how stupid you look but this father this father was passionate enough to show extreme love look at Luke 15 verse 20 again threw his arms around him and kissed him that is extreme love see this son had just come out of the pig pen and you notice this is an act of extreme love notice that there's no lecture here given the father does not say anything about the boy's past. So in an absence of words, this father says also a lot. In your notes, in not saying anything, the father says everything. God communicates in silence. Those who are waiting for God to shout at you, 
before you change, God speaks in silence. And not saying anything, God says everything. So he ran, threw his arms around him, kissed him. Extreme love does not always need words. We may question whether human beings really love one another, but you don't have to worry whether God loves you or not. Look at Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is loving toward all he has made. So number one, God is patient enough not to give up. Number two, God is passionate enough to show extreme love. Number three, the third thing in your notes that we know about God, based upon this story, God is forgiving enough to accept me. He is forgiving enough to accept me. Look at Luke 15, verse 21. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, too often, when we think about coming home to God, we say in your notes things like, I have to first clean up my act. I have to get it all together. I'm not worthy. And if that describes you, that you think you're not worthy, you're right. You're not. Neither am I. And that is what's so great about God's love. God is so patient, he does not give up. God is so passionate, his love is extreme. And God is so forgiving that he accepts us. So this is the key. You can't clean a fish before you catch it. You can't catch it. You got to catch the fish first. Then you bring it into the boat. And then you clean it. The son came home. Then the father cleans him up. Let's get him a robe. Let's get him a ring. Let's throw a party. And you know it's the father loves you enough to accept you as you are. He forgives you. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's where change, that's where forgiveness comes in. Do you know what the boy really deserved when he came home that time? He deserved a whipping. He deserved to be an outcast. In Mosaic law, he deserved death. What did he get? He got a party. Look at Daniel 9, verse 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Every one of us has rebelled. But God is forgiving. He accepts us. So in conclusion, so what? What does that mean for me? How can I come home? How can I reconnect with God? This is Jesus' story. So let him tell you three things in your notes. Number one, come to your senses. You come to your senses. Look at Luke 15, verse 17, where Jesus says when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. The first point is the wake-up call. This is just a wake-up call. And sometimes it is surrounded by some pain and dish. It is not, it's that oh no moment. And you and I may not go to a distant land. We may not have blown it that way. But we may be the occasional drifter. We just don't always pay attention to God. We don't feed our souls on God's word regularly. We don't receive nourishment at his table. So this is a call for each one of us to come to our senses. Look at Romans 13, verse 11, where Paul says again, another reason for right living 
that is coming through your senses is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. In your notes, don't miss out on coming home this Christmas. So what's next? Number two, you come clean. So first of all, you come to your senses. Then secondly, you come clean. Look at what the boy did. Look at Luke 15, verse 18. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. No excuses. No long list of alibis. You expose to God your sin. And God does not want to hear any of your excuses. Excuses come from sinful pride. But God is waiting to hear your confession. Father, I have sinned. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 13. People who cover over their sins, they will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. So God is forgiving enough to accept you. You come to your senses. You come clean. You confess. Then what happens? Number three, in your notes, you come home. The boy's next step was come home. Look at Luke 15, verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father. So what's the message? This is the message for all of you, long timers who have been in this church for years. This is the message also for those who have been away and have now come back. In your notes, runaways. Runaways can always, always, always come home to God. Welcome back. Welcome home. So now it's your job. It's your job to tell others about this great God, this God who is patient enough to not give up on you. He's passionate enough about you to show you extreme love. God is forgiving enough to accept you. Come home this Christmas. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.